0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.
1: To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing... In righteousness, justice and equity. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike, an abomination to the Lord. When justice is done... It is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. If a king faithfully judges the poor... His throne will be established forever. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Rachel. Good morning, church. As Mike said, my name is Zach, and it's my joint privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at City on a Hill, Brisbane, uh, Just as much as every other Brisbaneian, even though I'm not technically a uh, native, I am pumped for Brisbane uh, just winning everything. So, um, it's fantastic. Hey, a couple of extra quick announcements for you. Uh, We've got some baptism classes coming up in the next little while. Uh, If you uh, started having some conversations with us about baptism, or maybe uh, right now it's sort of sparking something in your mind, and your heart to come and talk to us about baptism, uh, we've got some great opportunities to sit down with you and help you think through what baptism is, uh, what your salvation is. Uh, and so on the 23rd and 30th of October, two Monday nights in a row, we're going to have baptism classes. And then on Saturday, the 4th of November at 8.38am a.m. at Wynnum Wading Pool, uh, down on sort of the Redlands coast, we are going to have our Baptism Saturday Uh, and get those people uh, together with a whole bunch of our church family coming down there to witness that and be a part of it. Uh, We're going to baptise a whole bunch of folk. So, uh, can I encourage you, if you're keen on uh, the conversation of baptism, come and chat to myself or you can uh, chat to Mike as well uh, and we can uh, organise you to come along to be a part of those baptism class nights. Um, Let me pray and then we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning for the opportunity we have to be gathered together uh, because of your goodness and kindness towards us in Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your word and thank you that we have this time now to hear from your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, work powerfully in our hearts, in our minds, that we might be transformed by the truth of your word uh, and that the uh, false truths, of the world around us, would come crumbling down as the uh, only real truth of your word confronts, encourages and equips our hearts and minds to serve you. Uh, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And well, just a few weeks ago, uh, scandal once again struck the AFL or the Australian Football League for the uninitiated. A Collingwood player, paused for booing. Um, <laughs> was accused of dangerous play. Uh, in the action of trying to smother a ball, Braden Maynard made significant contact with the head of a Carlton Blues player, uh, and he was put on report and had to face the tribunal in the f- following week. And he was found not guilty. The question, hot on the lips of many a Victorian and a handful of Brisburnians, was justice served? Mel Brown, our Women's Discipleship Minister, uh, who is also an avid Collingwood supporter, she thought that justice was absolutely served and that his getting off was totally fine. Now, this is obviously a trite example. In reality, it's just football, unless you live in Victoria, of course. But this circumstance, points to a conundrum, the question, what is justice? Just like the Collingwood Saga, it seems to be something that everyone has an opinion on. It seems difficult to nail down an objective definition of justice and especially one that every person can agree with. In the Bible, justice and righteousness are two major themes, especially in the Old Testament but actually right throughout all of Scripture, Uh, And as you've heard, um, we're a few weeks into this sermon series on Proverbs. We're looking at ancient wisdom in an artificial age and today we are diving into this theme of justice. Uh, For those who might not know, the the Bible is broken up into two major sections called Testaments or Covenants and broken up a little bit like our calendar, uh, like a pre-Christ era, the Old Testament and the post-Christ era, the New Testament... Uh, now, very generally speaking, the Old Testament was written in the ancient Hebrew language and it's helpful for us as modern-day people, far removed from that language and that culture and that time, to try and understand the words that we translate into English. So, two words for justice and righteousness that are going to be very helpful for us as we work through this morning. Uh, the Hebrew word, tzedakah, which is righteousness, and mishpat, which is justice. Now, both these Hebrew words, sort of like the interchange, the translations there, um, sort of between justice, righteousness or even judgment. But as we look to the Proverbs to see what it says about justice, it's helpful for us to recognise the significance of these words in Scripture Uh, but also in the culture of ancient Israel uh, for that particular time. These synonymous terms first appear together in the Old Testament in Genesis 18, when Abraham is begging God, he's interceding uh, before God on behalf of the people of Sodom, a city back in Abraham's day that were uh, known uh, even in the Bible and throughout history as just rife with sin and just... Absolutely abhorrent behavior. And Abraham is praying on their behalf that God would not destroy this city. And God seems to recognize something about that which he had called Abraham to. Uh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, it says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him, and you've got to understand when he says household after him, the, the Old Testament is talking about all of those generations that God would give to him, not just of Israelites, but uh, as the New Testament makes clear, you and I as Christians today, so this word that's been spoken right now has this incredible eternal lens on it. Uh, That so he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, sedekah and mishpat, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Righteousness and justice are the very means of how the family of Abraham, the very nation of Israel, and in fact, the church today, are meant to go about accomplishing the purpose laid out for the, purpose of, for the purposes from God to be a blessing to all the nations. It's through this dynamic of righteousness and justice that God has chosen to display His glory and goodness throughout all the world. If we were to try and do a word study throughout all of Scripture, we would see these two words pop up all over the place, especially in the Old Testament prophets As they are trying to proclaim God's Word to a rebellious people, trying to call them back to God's purposes uh, for this people. But it's also a major theme throughout Proverbs, which is interesting because Proverbs was written mostly or at least sort of mostly formulated during a time known as the Golden Age, a time in ancient Israel's history when the nation was prosperous, when it was generally doing a decent job of following God, when kings like David and Solomon were upon the throne and all other nations were indeed being blessed through the prosperity and generosity of Israel. And yet these proverbs are still necessary for the people in this time, just as necessary as they are for us today. In fact, as Rachel read just a moment ago, Proverbs 1, 2, Uh, And 3 states the very purpose of the Proverbs, of the sages of that age, the wise people of their time writing this wisdom literature, it says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, tzedakah, in justice, mishpat, and in equity. And in Proverbs 2 verse 9 it says, then you will understand righteousness and justice, and equity every good path. As we can see, even from these two introductory examples, the Proverbs are about giving wisdom for how the people of God are to go about doing righteousness and justice. Now, there are two things in particular I want us to see today, two aspects of this word, mishpat, that we translate as justice. Firstly, it speaks to a form of justice known as retributive justice but mostly, most often throughout the Bible, it's speaking to, uh, this word is speaking to what is known as restorative justice. So, firstly, let's dive in and check out what it means by retributive justice. I think most of us probably understand this concept of justice. It If someone steals, they face the consequences of repaying what was taken and often paying another fee or a penalty, maybe like jail time or something like that, to make up for the wrong that they committed, the inconvenience upon the person they stole from. And Proverbs has a lot of wisdom, especially for kings or rulers, on how they should go about ensuring that rectifying justice is carried out, especially on behalf of the poor and the vulnerable. Uh, For example, Proverbs 16.10, a divine verdict is on the lips of the king, his mouth should not err in judgment. Proverbs 17.23, the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice, a a negative example there. Uh, And Proverbs 24.23, these are also are the sayings of the wise, to show partiality in judgment, in mishpat, is not good. Or Proverbs 29.4, the king gives stability to the land by justice but a person who takes bribes ruins it. In my introduction, I mentioned the Collingwood Saga. Uh, I think some people online might like to think that Proverbs 29.4 was not correctly applied to that situation. Was there justice? Should Maynard have faced consequences for his actions or was it just that he was found not guilty? Were those rulers of the tribunal just in their decisions? Did they give stability? Did they err in judgment? Did they judge impartially? Were there some backroom deals that might have happened? Unfortunately, in our day and age, it's not a surprise when we find out that those ruling in authority um, have done shady things behind closed doors. The Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, certainly includes this retributive aspect of justice. You might hear theologians talk about the forensic nature of the Gospel, uh, that we as sinners owe a debt to God because of our rebellion. In fact, the Bible tells us that the just penalty for our sin is death. The correct retributive justice for our sin is punishment by death. And so when Jesus died on the cross in our place, He took upon Himself that just penalty that we should have paid, He bore our sins upon Himself, He became sin for us, that we might be made free, the innocent Jesus in place of the guilty, us, as 1 Peter 3 tells us. As I mentioned before, the Bible has a much deeper aspect of mishpat than rectifying justice alone. Uh, It also includes Uh, and leans more heavily into the aspect of restorative justice, uh, which is our second point this morning. Uh, The Bible Project uh, have actually a really helpful six-minute clip on the concept of biblical justice, and in it, they utilize this image, uh, the image of someone who is elevated, helping someone who is below them. And it's just such a helpful image of what this aspect of Mishpat is speaking to, that those who are rich or strong or educated would not lord it over those who are poor, weak or uneducated, but would utilise those gifts in order to help others up. This concept of justice is absolutely unavoidable in Scripture. Right throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is this sense of God's people, are uh, being called to not just uphold retributive justice, to not just make sure that we get it correct in the courts, to make sure that people have their fair day of trial, uh, or that victims receive correct restitution for the wrongs committed against them, but that as God's people, we are being intentionally uh, disadvantaging ourselves for the sake of advantaging those in our society who are Disadvantaged. Hear these words from across Scripture. Jeremiah 22, 3, this is what the Lord says, "'Do justice and righteousness, "'and save one who has been robbed "'from the power of his oppressor, "'and do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, "'the orphan or the widow, "'and do not shed innocent blood in this place.'" Zechariah 7, 9-10, to 10, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. James 1, 27, in the New Testament, religion that is pure and undefiled, or in other words, the true worship of God looks like this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. But perhaps the most shocking and yet helpful illustration of God's calling His people to this aspect of justice is found in a story told by Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is approached by a lawyer one who was well-versed in the law of God and he comes and he asks Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as per usual, answers this man's question with another question. He asks this lawyer, how do you read it in God's law? And the lawyer responds correctly. He says, love God and love your neighbour. But then, something interesting happens. Uh, Let's read together Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 29 through to 37. There's a quick little bit of commentary there. Luke tells us, but he, the lawyer desiring to justify himself, said back to Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, And the lawyer replied, the one who showed him mercy and Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. The lawyer, realising he is trapped by his own understanding of God's law, yet in his heart, being hard towards showing true love to his neighbour, tries to justify himself, as the text tells us. He's looking for a way out. If these people aren't my neighbour, then I don't have to help them. I don't have to have an eye or a heart for these people. But Jesus counters with this parable, this story told in order to teach and this story makes it clear that we should understand all people to be our neighbours. Now this kind of justice, which God calls His people to, is a type that not only looks to make amends for the wrongs, but also a type that looks to lift the poor, to lift the vulnerable, the marginalized, the weak, the hurting out of their despair into a place of dignity and equity. And Proverbs offers wisdom for how we should shape our hearts and community. Proverbs. 22 22 to 23 it says do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the lord will please plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them just because people are poorer or more vulnerable does not mean that we can take advantage of them in fact We need to recognise that God Himself, as this proverb is telling us, is pleading their cause. God will be their justice and their revenge. Which is a strong warning to each of our selfish hearts. But it's also a great comfort to those who find themselves victims of injustice. Obviously, the call of Jesus' parable is for God's people to be the good neighbour to be those who take stock of the suffering around them and to compassionately go about doing something about it. And this is the other aspect of what Jesus has done for us in the Gospel, not only has He pursued retributive justice by giving Himself on the cross, but He also granted us restorative justice by giving us our dignity, as fallen sinners, we wallow in the mud and filth of our own sin, we are those who have been beaten up and left for dead by our sin and by our enemy, Satan. Yet God, in his kindness towards us, took the just penalty upon himself in Christ and gave to us our true dignity, our humanity and place in God's Family, like the prodigal son returning home, the father has given us the family ring. He has placed on our shoulders a fine garment and he has put out a celebratory feast, welcoming us home. The words of God, as spoken through the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Hear what they say, Isaiah 9 verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with right justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts We will do this. And Jeremiah twenty-three, five: Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. God, through the gospel, has restored us to Himself in Christ. These words from Isaiah and Jeremiah have come to glorious fulfilment and truth in the person and work of Jesus but Christ has now given us the ministry of restoring others. Firstly, through the proclamation of the Gospel, through making it known that Jesus has paid that right penalty for sinners and that He has made a way for them to be reconciled with the Father, but also through our doing righteousness and justice. Proverbs 31, 8-9, as Rachel read, a moment ago, open your mouth for the mute, for the right of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Tim Keller in his helpful book, Generous Justice, he uh, tells a story of a single mother who was in a previous church of his, she was drowning under debt and struggling to look after her young kids and the deacons of the church decided to uh, show compassion and to give her money uh, enough that it would have saved her from drowning in her debts and to try and give her a new start however after a few months they found out that uh, she had not spent the money on the bills uh, but on buying bikes for her children and going to restaurants for dinners and the deacons were understandably upset yet through prayerful and wise consideration they continued to help. They recognised that she was doing this because she wanted her children to be happy and to feel like normal children... They wanted to have bikes, they wanted to go to places that other kids ate. She was trying to give them this life where they felt like they were a normal, uh, sort of above the poverty line family and so the deacons of this church were challenged to look beyond what might be normally considered irresponsibility and a means for cutting off help and they realised that she actually needed more than just a cash handout. Her children needed people around them who loved them and cared for them. This mother needed help in understanding how to go about paying off her debts, how to equip herself to find a good paying job and ultimately, she needed to be restored. Not just given a hand out, but a hand up. Which leads me to the question for us today, what does it look like for us to go beyond throwing money at the problem, but to, with our own hands, reach down and lift someone up, to give someone else a new foundation for their lives, because this is what we have received in the Gospel. We've received a new foundation of Christ's righteousness as our righteousness. His life becomes our life. The call for us as the people of God is to pursue this restorative justice on behalf of those who can't do it themselves. Whether it's because they don't have a significant enough voice or the right education to know where to go and what to do. Whether it's because there are significant addictions that get uh, people caught in those cycles of poverty. Our call is to care for the poor. The vulnerable, the orphans, and the widows, as Scripture often summarizes it, and not just as a handout, not just giving out cash to meet the singular need of the hot meal, as important as that is, but to shift. very conditions of our society so that we are literally lifting people from the pits of despair, working towards giving dignity to all human beings because each one of us is made in God's image and each one of us needs the love, kindness and generosity of others as we see most explicitly and powerfully uh, displayed for us in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. This morning I I wonder if there's people here today that have a burning desire in their hearts, to be more than, uh, sorry, to be more hands-on with doing righteousness and justice in our society. Do you have a, a burning passion to see the vulnerable made whole? I wonder if there's a, a beautiful or significant mercy ministry burning in the heart of someone here this morning? Maybe it's something that City on a Hill could partner with, could build or even just platform. Right now, uh, the needs in our church is that we would have some people who would put up their hands to help us grow our mercy initiatives. We need people who will champion our current initiatives like the pantry, champion the opportunities we have to feed those sleeping rough in Redlands and in Brisbane City, to champion our relationship with Centre Care, making these toiletry packs up for ex-prisoners, returning to society with they have nothing and helping to give these people a sense of their God-designed dignity. People who will champion our living room opportunities, being a a kind and compassionate presence to elderly retirees who have no one come to visit them in their nursing homes. We need people whose hearts are burning for the vulnerable and for the poor those who do not have a voice. We need people with ideas for how our church can significantly be a part of bringing restorative justice to Brisbane. I'm sure that in this room we have the people who can fund something like this. I'm sure we've got the people who have the expertise to do this wisely. I'm sure we have the connections throughout our church to be instrumental in not just giving handouts, but in genuinely transforming Brisbane with this gospel sense of justice and righteousness. If this is something you're keen to be a part of, I would love to have that conversation with you. You can Reach out to me on email, chat to me after the service, send me a message on Facebook. I'm so keen to start having these conversations of what does it look like for uh, not just the church to put on a program that Christians feel obligated to go to, but what are things that are burning in people's heart and how they want to help be a part of restoring justice and dignity to the city of Brisbane and how can our church get behind a movement that comes from a place of passion in someone's heart. To finish, um, I'd like to consider for a moment the cost of restorative justice. It would be foolish to think that we can truly make a difference without it costing us something. Even in the parable we just read of the Good Samaritan, it clearly costs him a lot. A denarius was about a day's wage and he just fronts up two of those at the start. Uh, Plus the time it took him to bandage the man, uh, put the oil, all that sort of stuff on him that in those days was all expensive stuff, let alone the possible cost of being beaten up himself as he stopped on what was obviously a dangerous highway. There is a cost to doing justice and righteousness. On a very simple level, our relationship with Night Ninjas and Seneca, it costs us something minimal to add to our shopping carts as we might go to Coles after church and then put it in the trolley just out there. Uh, but to those who do it, it also costs time and convenience. Grant, one of our uh, elders and his family, often help out at Night Ninjas in Redlands. And multiple times, I've noticed how it has cost his family. Three young children make that sort of thing complex, and yet they do it. They give up time, convenience, energy to take their children to literally be Christ's hands and feet to their community. The reality is, if we are going to take seriously the call to do justice And righteousness, it will cost us more than a few dollars. It will be to disadvantage ourselves, to advantage the poor. Proverbs 24 10 to 12. If you want to come back in your Bibles with me, it says this If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Again, Tim Keller is helpful commenting on this passage. He says, it always costs time and money to do justice. And yet there are times when doing justice really costs. These verses talk about a time of trouble, literally the day of adversity. In times of crisis, from recession to government coups, the most vulnerable are most endangered and to defend them puts you in the, harm as, in the way of harm as well. But brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus put himself in the way of our harm by dying on that cross for us not just so that we might be freed from sin and death, but so that we also can take the powerful transforming message of the gospel to all those in need. And we do this by doing righteousness in justice in the world that we live in, by putting ourselves at a disadvantage so that we might advantage those who need to be pulled up and rescued from darkness, given life, light and hope and the justice that God has sacrificed for in His own Son. And lastly, before I finish, uh, I want to speak briefly to the upcoming referendum concerning the Aboriginal voice to Parliament. Now, I'm gonna, not going to tell you how to vote, I'm not going to tell you what to vote, I'm not even going to tell you how I'm voting but it is worth mentioning today on the back of a sermon on justice. Scripture does not speak to the way that we should vote on this particular issue and because of that, the church in general and me as your pastor should not speak to how you should vote on this issue. But what I do want to say is that as Christians, as those who have been called to do justice and righteousness, we have a gospel responsibility to guard our hearts and to take this matter seriously. Three things I want to point out. Firstly, racism is anti-gospel. Racism is sin and requires deep repentance. One of my encouragements to you is to examine in your own heart if racism is influencing how you're coming to this vote, I pray the Holy Spirit convicts you and frees you from that bondage. Secondly, this is Issue has the possibility for deep division, even within the church. We are called to love our neighbour, which means we love those who we disagree with. We treat all people, no matter where our politics lie, as those who are made in the image of God. Thirdly, this issue is complex in its legalities and constitutional consequences and we do have a responsibility to be well-informed before making a choice. I would encourage you to read and listen widely. Don't just read or listen within your own comfortable media bubble, but intentionally expose yourself to varied other voices so that you can go into this issue well-informed and best positioned to love your neighbours well, no matter which way you vote. In light of this, Uh, This morning, I'm going to pray for us a prayer that uh, Menton Baptist Church prayed in their services a few weeks ago and gave permission uh, for other churches to pray, to help bring our hearts to that remembrance, to do righteousness and justice. Let's pray together. Abba Father, our nation's past is complex. Lord, and so are our hearts. We pray for all the debate happening around the referendum about the Aboriginal voice to Parliament at the moment. You are a God of justice, and we pray that the outcome would be a just one. You are a God of mercy, and we pray that the outcome would be a merciful one. You are a God who cares for the widows and orphans, the weakest among us, and we pray that the outcome and the way the debate is conducted would honour the weak and helpless. We pray for our own hearts that your Holy Spirit would convict us of our own sinful attitudes wherever they may lie. We pray for our Aboriginal brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for the deep godliness and sanctification of many Aboriginal Christians who are living for you, Lord, often in tough circumstances. We pray you would keep them faithful to your word and fill them with your spirit boldly to declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness and into his marvellous light. We pray that you would open a door for their ministry so that more and more Aboriginal men and women can find freedom, fulfilment and life in Christ. With issues like the voice likely to cause divisions among Christians, we pray the words that Jesus himself prayed in John 17. That my prayer is not for them alone. Pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them to I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one, and I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved, even as you have loved me. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning in your word. Thank you for that reminder, that call to our hearts that we are in you, not just for the sake of our own salvation, not just for the sake of our own being made right with you or being lifted out of our own pits of despair, but that you have gifted us your Holy Spirit. You have gifted us wisdom and knowledge of your word to go out into all of the world and to lift others from the pits of their despair. Thank you for that call deep inside the heart of all of your children to go into all the world and do righteousness and justice. Father, we pray this morning that as we go from here, I pray that the ideas, the passions that might be burning in people's hearts, Father, would you give them the courage and the boldness to bring those ideas, to uh, bring them forward so that we can, uh, as a congregation, as a body of believers, find ways to uh, restore our whole city of Brisbane that Jesus might be made known. And Father, for those of us that might find the whole concept of righteousness and justice of mercy towards our neighbours harder than maybe it should. Father, I pray that you would be softening in our hearts, you would be working in us. Give us a broken heart for what breaks yours. Give us a desire to see men and women and children all around us, lifted to that same place of dignity that you have called each one of us. Thank you for the work you have done on our behalf in the gospel that you have brought us to light and life. You have given us our dignity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We pray you would help us to rest in that knowledge and from that place be such a blessing to all the world around us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast.